The horizon is wide and the highway is calling. That means it's time for another episode of American Roads Trip Talk. I'm your host, Gary Mance, with a welcome and an invitation to travel the byways and backroads of yesteryear, searching for America in every incomparable mile. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Trip Talk. Glad to have you with us. This episode is brought to you by the good folks at ScenicTrace.com. Adventure, history, and beauty all await you on the Natchez Trace Parkway. Natchez Trace Parkway, a national scenic byway and national park. This 444-mile drive takes you through some of the country's most stunning landscapes, while also allowing you access to exciting communities along the way. From Natchez, Mississippi to Nashville, Tennessee, we invite you to explore the trace and discover America. Plan your trip at scenictrace.com. Welcome once again to the show. We are so delighted to be able to bring people who intrigue and and destinations that you absolutely want to get to, if not putting it on your bucket list. Why wait that long? Just get there as soon as you can. That's our motto. And today we're going to talk to a lady by the name of Savile Lord. She is very well employed by Hormel Foods in Austin, Minnesota. And the Hormel Foods Corporation, of course... They're the good folks that bring us the classic product, the canned meat that conquered the world, Spam. Savile Lord is the manager of the Spam Museum. I'm going to repeat that. She manages the Spam Museum. That's a place where you can go. You can make it part of a road trip, and I certainly intend to do that. I can't wait to see it, actually. And Savile Lord is also in charge of community relations for the Hormel Foods Corporation. Savile, I want to welcome you to the show. And if we were sitting down together, I would have hoped that you would bring a can of Spam with you and we turn it into some fancy salad. I'm happy to have you with us. Isn't that a great idea? Well, thank you, everyone, for having us here today. We hope that we have a fantastic visit. I think it's going to be that at the very least. I did a little uh, reading, Savile, and I found out, and you know what? This this confirmed a guess. I would just I was operating on a hunch because, I mean, the whole time I've been on Earth, and we're talking about a little past six decades now, I'm a boomer there, and I've enjoyed my share of spam. Maybe not as much as I should, actually, now that I think of it. I've enjoyed every bite I've ever tasted. But it, the history of spam pretty much confirms what I always thought would be the case that it came out during the Depression. If I have the date right, I believe it was first introduced to the public in America on July 5, 1937. Do I have that right? You have that 100% correct. And the thing I'd love to know, Savile, as we get started, and I want to allow plenty of time for an exploration of the on-air exploration of the Spam Museum, but Savile, if you could tell us a bit about the thinking, the brains at Hormel behind Spam, how they decided to can it to make it popular around the world and even contribute greatly to armies that, after all, travel on their stomach This t- during World War II. It's an amazing story. It is absolutely. So when Hormel Foods was founded in 1891, it really was the master meat company um, with the, the butchering of hogs and, and the animals that we have utilized over the years. After that, um, George Hormel brought his son in, and his son was named Jay, and Jay was a master marketer. He just had this phenomenal way of taking products and figuring out how to make them work. Well, do you know that he went off to World War I and met a master canner in Germany who had figured out these ways to take meat and cook it in its own can, which was a very, very 
novel idea at the time. So Jay came back to the United States after having served in World War One, and he had this idea of, you know, the wartime had been very hard on everybody, and he wanted to make the mother's jobs easier in the kitchen. They would be spending a lot of time cooking for their families. And, you know, if you were to take a ham and to cook it from raw, it would take five, six hours. And he just didn't want to see the mothers taking that much time out of their day to cook a product and be stuck in the kitchen watching over it. So he took this gentleman, whose name was Paul Jorn, and he brought him over to the United States, and together they spent a couple of years mastering how to cook a ham in its own can. And then about 1927, they completed that process, and our first Hormel ham was introduced that was cooked in its own can. Well, that just brought way to Spam. Spam has been known for being a product that is cooked in its own can that is much more versatile than a full ham. If you look at a can of Spam, it is about the size of a slice of bread. So the idea was mothers could take that out of their cupboards, slice that up, and then have a meal that was already cooked again so that it was easy to store because of lack of refrigeration during that time period, and then easy to put in their um, pantry and have something that they could feed a family of five. And so with all of that and so convenient, of course, we throw something in the microwave today. But back then, this was introducing a strong note of, of convenience and affordability at a time when people just didn't have a lot of money or not many had much money to spend. And they had to be creative with how they prepared food, sometimes for large families. Yes. In fact, Dinty Moore, which came out between the ages of the Hormel ham and Spam, introduced in 1935 was exactly that. We had an excess of Depression-era cans left over that we needed to utilize. And so instead of just throwing them away, Jay Hormel came up with the idea for this stew, this hearty man stew, that they could sell at a low cost that then would be available. And in that master marketer mentality, he took the idea of you know, newspapers at that time were how people got their news. Well, Dinty Moore was the character in a cartoon at that time called Bringing Up Father. And so wouldn't you know that he said, you know, if anybody's going to know about this, they're going to know this one character because he's known from east to west coast. So they went ahead and purchased the rights to utilize that name, and it was an absolute hit. And that, again, just goes back to how, you know, marketing is really the key in, in, in success. Oh, it absolutely is. There's marketing, even Depression-era marketing, Savile, but then there is that old saying that an army travels on its stomach, and spam really filled the bill during a time, World War II when there had to be massive amounts purchased and then sent overseas to do the part that Hormel Foods could do in helping to win the war. Absolutely. And, you know, we have uh, we have letters here from uh, General Eisenhower. At that time, he was president, but speaking back from when he was general. And then we have notes from both Nikita Khrushchev and uh, Margaret Thatcher thanking us for sending us, as they were allies of ours during that time period, for sending some spam to them and the different meat products that we did send over so that they could help their troops survive. Now, I'm old enough to remember a shoe pounded on a, 
on a lectern at the UN. Khrushchev even dug the spam. Yes, he did. And that's how a lot that. of people know. And we just love <laughs> to be able to tell that story here because it has <laughs> become, you know, such a worldwide meet. It's not a product that's just known in small areas of the world. People all over the world know about it, and it's because of a lot of the wars that have taken place. South mm. Korea is a great example of that. They didn't really know about spam too much until the South Korean War. And then again, the troops introduced it to them. And to this day, there's a street in Seoul that prides itself on this um, spam dish that they make, and each of the restaurants on that street compete against one another on this dish to say who's has the best. So it's just it takes on a life of its own in these different parts of the world that it has been introduced. Takes on a life of its own. You said it, Savile, yeah. because I have traveled to Hawaii, and I have a good friend here. I live in Florida, and she came over to retire here in Florida from Hawaii, and she said Hawaiians and people who move to Hawaii fall in love with spam, and it's, it's kind of a culinary art form and a tradition going back to the war in the Pacific, Pacific Theater, World War II, and then afterwards, spam remained popular. It wasn't just convenient, it was delicious, and now you will have people who barbecue spam, and they have big outdoor cookouts and contests, exactly as you're describing in Korea, but this goes on in Hawaii, and I suspect all around North America as well. Can you imagine that in Hawaii, that Spam is sold not only at Burger King, not only at McDonald's on the menus, but in a form called Musabi at your 7-Elevens or your average, you know, convenience store. And what Musabi is, is Spam, rice, and it's served kind of like a sushi wrapped in nori. And they'll usually put some sort of sauce in the middle, and then they'll wrap that up in cellophane. And instead of in the United, on the mainland of the United States, where you'll find hot dogs rolling on a on a um, a grill rack at your 7-Eleven, you'll find these musubis war in warming ovens, waiting for you to come pick it up as your quick to go treat. And they absolutely love that. I came in contact with more people from every single economic group. I had, you know, gentlemen who were going out golfing who said, yeah, we grab a musubi and we put it in our bag when we go out golfing. I've also had mothers say, you know, when our kids go out on field trips, instead of, you know, a sandwich, we'll put in a musubi for them because we know it's A, high protein, B, it's easy to make, C, it's easy to travel with, and it's something our kids love. So you'll find that on the soccer field. For the kids' snacks versus, you know, the oranges they the sliced oranges they serve here in the mainland. I would love to talk to you, Savile, about the Spam Museum, which brings all of this to life in an interactive way. And I have made a vow to myself that I am going to visit. I love Minnesota anyway. So when I get there, I'm going to make a point of getting to the Spam Museum. I'd love to introduce myself to you and take the tour because there is so much there that you folks offer. I'd like to get to that on the other side of a short break. So if you'll just stay close by, Savile Lord, we will be right back with you to talk about the glory of Spam and the wonderful Spam Museum, which is astonishing to look at there in Austin, Minnesota. The pictures alone are so inviting. Speaking of invitations, we want you to take a look at the adventure, the history, and the beauty awaiting you on the Natchez Trace Parkway, a national scenic byway and national park. 
This 444-mile drive takes you through some of the country's most stunning landscapes, while also allowing you access to exciting communities along the way. So from Natchez to Miss in Mississippi to Nashville, Tennessee, just know that you are warmly invited to explore the trace and discover America in the process. Plan your trip there at scenictrace.com. That's scenictrace.com. We are talking to a wonderful lady who is enthusiastic about a worldwide sensation. The popularity continues many decades. Well, let's see, we're talking about over 80 years now of spam history. And there is plenty of that history to uh, be up close and personal with when you go to Austin, Minnesota, which is a gorgeous little town, not too far away from the Twin Cities. Certainly an easy drive down Highway 35, as I recall. And when you get to the Spam Museum, as they say on the spam.com website, go behind the scenes and behind the can for an experience adults and kids will savor. Well, you had me as I looked through this, Savile. I thought, now I've got to stand here where they have the, the stacked cans and I can see how many spam cans tall I am. <laughs> I love this stuff. It's just great, isn't it? We've we figured out a way, I think, to make a museum that is not just educational but also fun. We encourage people to touch and to experience the museum in just this awesome way and require that they only try a sample on their way out. So we are 100% free, uh, which really helps the family's budget when they are traveling. Uh, but then we also um, serve samples around the museum. Now, you love that word, don't you? Spamples. It is a yes. sample of Spam. And Spam has 15 different varieties. So we make sure that um, we bring out on a regular basis one of those 15 varieties for people to try. And we have tours available from our Spambassadors. Again, another fun word, the ambassadors of the Spam brand. And they can show you through this just colorful and happy space that really tells the story of not just Spam, but also the Hormel Foods Company, which has been located here in Austin, which is, as you said, yes, just about 90 miles south of Minneapolis, uh, St. Paul, and just about eight miles north of the Iowa border. Uh, really conveniently located right off of our I-90 corridor that goes from east to west across the state. So um, we're, we're perfectly situated and then have this really fun spot where you have the opportunity to take lots of photos um, and then to have a lot of interaction because one of the things that we found is that when you go into a museum, if you're able to interact with the exhibit, you learn so much more. And so we, you're able to, we're able to play commercials and we're able to play um, different pieces for people so that they can learn as they go, um, as well as reading some of the information that's available. What I note in regard to that, Saville, is that you have free guided and self-guided tours. So you can create an experience for yourself that's unique to your experience of spam at the museum with all of that information in one spot. Absolutely. And that was, that's what the fun is. And your word there is absolutely key, experience. What we hope is that people will not just have a visit, but they will experience not only the Span Museum, but the town of Austin itself. We have um, been in our location here for about three years. Uh, we have been a museum for a little over 20, but this is our third stop in our Span Museum um, experience. And uh, when we 
when we landed here in downtown Austin, it was our hope to help support the downtown community. And I think we've done a very nice job of that. In America, the downtowns of communities are really struggling. And so when you bring a space um, that brings in tourists and visitors alike to come to to visit, and we see on average about 100,000 visitors a year, then they're able to stay and to visit some of our shops and some of our restaurants. You'll see that in the museum we actually don't, besides our samples, we don't have a cafe or anything of that nature. And that really surprises people, but that was very, very purposeful. The Hornell Foods Company wants to make sure that people are going out and experiencing the community and trying Spam at one of the 17 restaurants in town that serves Spam. And 17 restaurants. Yes, can you believe that? And we'll give you a list so you don't have to worry. We'll show you a map exactly where they are and which ones and what they have so you can experience it. Even our, even our Asian restaurant makes musubi so that you can try it there. I mean, it's just wonderful how people have jumped on board. You anticipated my next question. I talk about the variety of ways in which Spam can be made. If you have 17 restaurants in Austin, Minnesota serving Spam, I'm expecting some variety. Yes, and there are there is some variety. You know, you'll find your regular Spam sandwich, but then you'll find Spam quesadillas. You'll find Spam fries. We really do try to make it a unique experience, but it's not up to us. It's up to the restaurants to be creative and figure out what they want. You know, in fact, we have a um, First Thursday event every month, and it's a way for us to celebrate Spam and to celebrate our community. About two months ago, we actually invited five of the restaurants in town to come serve a Spam recipe, and, you know, not a single one of them duplicated another. They were all very unique. Um, oh, I and believe it. It was just a wonderful way to try different ways of, of, of making Spam. I love any kind of food that allows the preparer, the cook, the chef to be uh, to be creative and also kind of, oh, you know, it, to be uh, social in a way where it's playful to do yeah. that. I've had spam and egg sandwiches for breakfast. I've had it barbecued and I'm barely scratching the surface you mentioned a couple of different ways the thing that that the average person who goes to the store and figures oh you know what i'm going to whip up a quick salad i'm going to get a can of spam and maybe they'll go for the low sodium variety i thought for a long time that spam and low sodium spam was it and, I, and i'm going how would you have a museum about you know two kinds of spam but it turns out there's a lot more variety than that there are there's so many different varieties and and what's fun, and you hit it the nail right on the head, is when you said that the, not only is there variety, but different people do different things with it. And you know what? They have fun doing that. I was in Washington, D.C. about a week ago, and I ran into a woman who was having a party on Rehoboth Beach. And she was turning it into a spam party, and they were going to have each of the guests bring their own spam, a sample of some sort of spam dish. And I hear about things like that all the time where people have fun with spam. And they try it in different ways and they have parties and they have events where spam is the focus. And um, they're making spam in different ways and sharing it with their family and friends. It's a food that, unlike any other, people have a relationship with. I never hear people talking about, you know, their relationship with tuna fish, for example. But I do when it comes to spam. They talk about it and what it means to them and how it's inspired their life. And that part has just been so awesome to hear. I've got to ask you, Savile, 
Now, you work in community relations, and I know you will give me a straight answer. Supposedly, no, I don't know if this is just an urban myth or not. That's why I'm asking you. But spam, as most people use it today, the first thing they think of is not food, which is why you have a museum there and want to get people interested in it. They hear spam and they go, oh, wait a minute, that's that unwanted email. And there are people who suggest that probably due to the comedy of um, Monty Python, that spam actually just acquired this this extra extra meaning extracurricular type of nickname there and connotation there because of their comedy i don't know if that's true or not can you clear that up for me well you know what the fun thing about spam is most people don't know how spam got its name and so i will tell you that story quickly first before i answer the rest of your question Okay. But spam was introduced, as we talked about at the beginning of the show, in 1936-1937. Um, it was introduced to the public in 1936, but J. Hormel had it ready to go by the end of 1936, but he didn't have a name for it. And that was the sticking point. So at a New Year's Eve party that he ended up throwing that year, from 1936 into 1937, he offered a $100 gift certificate to whomever could come up with the name for this new pork product that he had. And it, apparently, you know, it took till about the fourth or fifth round of drinks before the names really started to fly off <laughs> people's tongues. And wouldn't you know that one of the um, relatives of the vice president at our company, a gentleman by the name of Kenneth Dagnow, came up with the name Spam, the SP for spiced and the AM for ham. And during that time period, all of the names of foods that were popular around that time had those very short, very catchy names. So that was very key when he was making, when they were making a decision on, on what to call it. And you know, Spam has now been around since, so that was 1937. It is now 83 years old, 82, 83 years old. And it has continued to have this life that is um, just the popularity and, and talking about how it has continued to take on this, this um, life of its own. And with the emails, you know, at first, Hormel Foods was like, oh, no, that's not good. We need, you know, it can't be called spam. But I think they've relaxed quite a bit and realized that something that's iconic and has this long history and this long life it's perfectly suitable to be called that because it just showcases how um, important the brand is to the United States that, that something could that something could be nicknamed spam. You know what? I think that is a very positive attitude to take, and it's okay to be tongue-in-cheek about it as well. You know the quality of the product you have, and so do people just about worldwide. How many countries sell this stuff anyway? A little bit over 40 countries. Really? That many? That many. And you know, Now, if I go to the Spam Museum, spam, I'm sorry, go ahead. You know, in Classic Spam, there are only six ingredients, which most people don't realize. Ah. There is pork and ham, water, sugar, salt, potato, potato starch, and sodium nitrate. Now, you will find sodium nitrate pretty much in any sausage, pepperoni, salami, it is that cure that gives it its long life. And then potato starch was added in 1989 because anybody from World War II onwards would have remembered that Spam had this little 
glue, this gel at the top of it. Why is that? Oh, because yes. as a product that is cooked in its own can, it has this, um, then you, it releases fat. Well, the potato starch then reabsorbs that fat. And so that got rid of that little layer. So with those six ingredients, it's just amazing how, then when you add in our other 15 types of spam, you add in obviously a couple more ingredients, but it's amazing that people don't realize that actually, in all honesty, classic spam has, you know, a very clean label. Oh, it definitely does. I mean, it draws my eye every time. And I, I'm just going to guess that if I go to the Spam Museum, am I going to see some of these foreign language labels from around the world? Yes, you will. So we have this fabulous area called our international market. And in that, we focus on six of the countries that have um, that Spam is the most popular in. And we do showcase those labels. We also have this really fun train that goes around the upper part of the museum. It has 780 cans and goes, um, it takes about 18 minutes to go all the way around the museum. And it has 20 different varieties of spam. Now, we only have 15. Those other five are labels from other parts of the uh, world. So we try to incorporate the diversity of the product uh, worldwide in the museum. And when the surf's up, I can even visit the Spam Shack, which I see has a Hawaiian motif. That's probably the first place I will go inside the museum. Good. Good. <laughs> it's, uh, we should make it clear to people in our last couple of minutes, if people are in the Twin Cities, they may be visiting relatives. This very probably will be heard by people who think, I haven't been there in a while. I haven't been down to Austin. I should go visit. So for people from the general public, if you look at the Twin Cities as, as the prime place to visit, the, the centrality of its position in Minnesota life and culture, how to get down to the Spam Museum? Sounds pretty easy to me. Yes, and it's very, very easy. It's pretty much a straight shot from the Twin Cities south. And, um, you know, we've had a remarkable, as I said, we have, you know, 100,000 people who come visit the museum. We actually have a tour group from Hawaii that goes from oh, Hawaii to Las Vegas <laughs> every year. Yes. And instead of doing that, they stop, and they actually go from Hawaii to Minneapolis, drive down, visit the museum, and then go to Las Vegas. And they drive I the rest of the way to Vegas, and it's just awesome. Because that is great. The Hawaiians stuff. love spam so much they make sure then that they don't forget to visit us when they're here. And people do that all the time. They take hours out of their road trips to make sure that they make it our way. And that's why we're so happy that's why we're so happy, Seville, that we had you visit us because we want people to go to the Spam Museum, which you manage. And I can't wait to see it myself. Thank you so much for joining us today on Trip Talk and I hope to meet you at the museum. Thank you for having me, Gary. I just really appreciate it. And I hope all the visitors can make it to Austin, Minnesota, and visit us here for a spamtastic time. Thanks so much. Savile Lord, everybody, at the Spam Museum. And thank you for tuning in to American Road Trip Talk. Along with Thomas and Becky Rep, co-founders of American Road Magazine, we remind you and invite you to visit our website, AmericanRoadMagazine.com, to preview the current issue of American Road Magazine. Until next time, drive safely and dream well.